In this episode, we're sharing some real life examples of what can go wrong when you buy a brand new property. We want you to be aware of the pitfalls so this doesn't happen to you. Welcome to your first home buyer guide, the podcast for first home buyers who want to get it right. I'm Megan and that was Veronica. We're both buyers agents and probably old enough to be your mums. But that's a good thing because between us, we've got over 40 years experience and we are going to share with you bucket loads of stories about avoidable mistakes. Together, we're going to make sure that you get unbiased and real information that you can rely on so you can get where you want to be without missing a step. Now, we've got loads of great tips for you in this episode. And if you'd like more useful tools, head over to the website, homebuyeracademy.com.au. There you'll find free checklists that you can download, a free mini course on how to price a property and our where to buy workshop for only $39. Priceless stuff, really. Bargain. But before we get into the interesting stuff in this week's episode, here's the boring bit, the disclaimer. You of course know that nothing in this podcast is to be taken as personal advice. We always recommend getting the advice of an expert in their field of expertise. Now we've done our very best to ensure that the content is correct at the time of recording, but things change. So check with the relevant government authority or your advisors to get the most up-to-date information. Buying off the plan is risky, even if you're getting free money from the government. Free. (laughs) Free. Nothing's free. No such thing as a free lunch. But today we want to make sure that you're not lured into the segment of the property market where owners lose, hear me out, lose the most amount of money. But before we get into that, uh, there's a special house behind Megan in the video this week. What is it? Those lovely. that are watching, uh, this is actually the most viewed property on realestate.com in 2021. It's in Turak, Victoria. It looks like it could be some sort the of White House. Or, yeah, it does, doesn't it? But anyway, this is 60 Hope Turn Street in Turak, Victoria, and it was viewed by nearly 100,000 people when it was on the market. It's rumoured to have sold for around $30 million dollars. We haven't confirmed that, but nearly 100,000 people took a, took a walk through this property online. Wow. And what is interesting is that I wonder how many of those actually had $30 million to spend. Probably very few. <laughs> One, I would imagine, the final buyer. <laughs> One. How do you price a property that's worth $30 million? That's, that's... Do you? Because there's no comparables, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's the most expensive property and the most viewed, there's probably not a lot that you can... Um, compare it to. And in that case, it's really what someone's prepared to pay for it. That's it. Willing buyer, willing seller. Mm. Now, there are a lot of risks you take when you buy an apartment off the plan or a house and land package. And yet those types of properties are heavily marketed to first home buyers, especially since a lot of government grants only apply if mm. you buy brand new. So before we get into these case studies, let's just run through some of the most obvious danger zones. Yeah, and Veronica, you can't see, touch, feel, you know, um, observe uh, and inspect something that isn't built yet. So <laughs> so if you can't do that, then there are a lot of risks in what might happen. Now, 
first off our list and in no particular order are the potential for building defects. People think that just because something is brand new, it won't have any problems. And we know, we know, we know, we know. How many times have you bought a car and brand new straight off the lot and that squeaks and this doesn't change, the gear shift is clunky. Just because it's new doesn't mean it's not going to be without issues or faults or defects. And the concern is that there are limitations to warranties on brand new properties. Um, and if you're relying on those warranties, builder's warranty and so forth, defects, maintenance periods, those sorts of things, and you don't get it right or something is excluded, then you might very well end up with a problem that you could never have anticipated and haven't budgeted for. Yeah. You know, they're really serious in some cases, like in, in New South Wales, a couple of years back, we had Opal Towers, you know, all the brand new residents just moved in and then Christmas Eve, they all get evacuated because they discovered that the building was unsafe. And so that's at one extreme. Pretty major defect. Massive defect. And, and obviously, <laughs> start sinking. we could do an entire podcast just on that. And in fact, I have done a few of them on the elephant in the room. Um, and so that's just one extreme example. But people live with defects that are, that are, take years to resolve or cost mm. a lot more money than they anticipate because they think that they've got a warranty. And particularly in New South Wales, if you buy an apartment in a building that is four stories or more, there's no homeowner's warranty. Well, that is news to me. I had no idea about that. And the reason was because the defects were so bad that the cost to insurers made it impossible to insure these buildings and so they basically legislated to say they didn't have to. And so this Ooh. is where the regulators... Can I just can I just go back and understand that completely? So if you buy a brand new off-the-plan apartment and it is more than four storeys high... More than three storeys, actually. Three four storeys or more. Three storeys high... And you get in there and there is a leak coming through from the bathroom upstairs. There's no warranty. There's no recourse. So they have then created, this is not exactly the topic of this podcast, but I will go no, there. I really um, want to understand this. <laughs> the, they, they've since then put in like a, um, uh, there's a fund basically, that, and this has only been recently created where developers have to actually put a proportion of the, the build cost, I think it is, into a fund for a period of time to sort of provide some, some level of um, backing. But you also got to realise that a homeowner's warranty uh, and I'm talking about New South Wales here, but you've got similar problems elsewhere. Homeowner's warranty is there to protect you if you've got significant defects you need to sue the builder or the developer and then they've gone broke, right, or they're phoenixed and that's what happens too. These, these companies, they set up a company to build a particular building and then they wind that company down. So if the company no longer exists, who do you sue? right? So in the event that there's no one to sue, that's what the homeowner's warranty insurance is basically there supposedly as a stopgap. And ah, so, so in Queensland, that's a QBCC insurance. Right. Okay. So yeah, in every jurisdiction, there's something like mm. this, but, but let's just forget that for a minute. It's all well and good to say, oh my God, you're not covered by insurance. Who wants to go through that nightmare? Mm. If you ha just, just, if I buy something new and it's got something wrong with it, fix it, <laughs> fix it. But but it's not that simple. And some so you developers need to go to the builder first or developer first. And if well, they're unwilling or unable, then the recourse is through the homeowner's warranty. Yeah, or the courts or whatever. So how many Both times do you see it? buildings in litigation? And all I'm saying here is this is this is 
a massive can of worms that it could be a good developer, could be a good builder. They stand by their product. They come in and they fix defects. There will always be little defects at least because stuff mm. happens in buildings, right? Buildings start deteriorating the minute they're built. Um, but there are certain buildings that in the design phase have just been poorly designed, then they've been poorly built. And then the individual owners are the ones that actually cop that over time. Now, mm. unless you're an expert in working out whether that's been expertly designed and expertly built, then you are taking enormous risk when you buy brand new because you're assuming that everyone has done the right thing. Mm -hmm. And if they haven't, they don't cop it necessarily. You do as an owner in that building. So that's one of the obvious danger zones. Absolutely. You don't know what you're getting to start with, but you you might not actually get what you expect either. This is a massive one because in a lot of contracts, off-plan contracts, and these off-plan contracts can be three inches thick, you know, five centimetres, six centimetres thick. So they're not something that any homeowner, home buyer should be reading on their own. They have to you absolutely must get expert advice from someone who understands off-plan contracts and where the issues sit. But in a lot of off-plan contracts, there is an allowance for a 5% variation. So that might allow changes to finishes. You know, the, the, it might be have been specced as a smeg oven and it ends up being a Westinghouse. And if that's within a 5% price differential, that's allowable. So there's there's a, a lot of things, but it, a size is the one, Veronica, that I think I really get concerned about because a 5% variation on, let's say, you know, a 50 square metre apartment, which is a small one, it's the smallest that the banks will probably lend on, um, is as much as two and a half square metres. Now, that sounds small, but if that came out of a bedroom and 50-square-metre apartment might only have a three-by-three three bedroom or a, a studio area, that could bring that down to 2.85 by 2.85, and you can't put a king-size bed in that room. Even a queen. Yeah. Well, you'd, <laughs> you'd be able to shuffle around a queen, but there wouldn't be anything else in there. you just but- have a sliding door and jump onto the bed. <laughs> You're swinging like Tarzan. Yeah. But uh, look, I've seen but this, but also. That's that's, uh, that's the thing, isn't it, Veronica? Because it doesn't, they can't, they can take that 5% from anywhere. Yeah, you've got no control. I've, I've heard of people losing it on the courtyards. I've heard people having a massive big pole in the middle of the living room that they weren't expecting. But also you, you can't determine roof heights from a plan. Most people can't. Anyway, I mean, there are side elevations, but. It is hard to really get that, an understanding of the volume of the room. And, and so you don't exactly know what you're getting unless you're an expert at reading plans, that's mm. for sure. Mm. Even natural light and airflow, it's not something that you can really, you can look at where the windows are positioned, you can look at the orientation, but realistically you can't get a feel for how something is going to feel, you know, that emotional part of the property that you're buying, and that is important. You don't make decisions based on emotional aspects, but you have to, you have to feel oh, like you can on. live in something. Yes, you will. hopefully we we, hopefully we encourage you to engage the head as well as the heart (laughs) in the process but if you can't stand in something or have someone stand in it on your behalf understanding how you want to live then you you can't get a feel for how that air is going to flow or not flow and if you like air conditioning 24 hours a day that's fine and here's a trick too i and it just occurred to me we haven't even jotted this in our notes but like if you go into the display apartment a lot of these display apartments are actually built inside like a like an old warehouse or something <laughs> you know often there's an old warehouse or industrial complex going to be demolished to build 
the um the actual block of apartments and in there they've built this sort of mock apartment well it's mm-hmm. not necessarily a guarantee that the ceiling height is going to be the same as they are in the display apartment except they can use it when you go into the display apartment you think you're getting something and you're not actually going to get it mm. so th- that's a definite risk I think, too, potential delays and sunset clauses. Now, this is a murky, murky water. I know in New South Wales they changed legislation um, to stop developers being able to um, to enact the sunset clause. So the sunset contract, clause is basically contract. a clause mm. in the contract sort of says it has to be done by X date, otherwise da 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 can happen. Mm. And so in a rising market, people had been buying apartments off the plan at sort of yesterday's price and then r- prices rise and that's good. I'm going to talk about prices right, low, uh, falling in a minute. Yeah, it can go um, both yeah, and in a rising market, that's that's fabulous. And you think, yeah, aren't I clever? Ha ha, this is the way to make my fortune. But the developer can think, oh, hang on a minute, I can make a hell of a lot more out of this this complex than I previously thought. And so the more cynical ones have actually then deliberately delayed the um, completion of the building so that they could actually then enact the sunset clauses and terminate all the the purchasing contracts and then resell them for more money. Now, this has happened in many, many states. Uh, In New South Wales, it got outlawed a few years back, but I think it can still be done in Queensland. Is that the Mm. case? Yeah, yeah. Let's firstly just make sure that everyone has a shared understanding of sunset clauses, Veronica. Mm. Go for it. Um, it, so, so sunset clause is essentially if there is a clause on a contract that allows for certain things to happen and those ha- things don't happen in a certain time frame, there may be a clause put in addition to those clauses. Say, for example, and I'm going to make this really simple because it's the easiest one that most people have heard, heard of. If you have to sell a property, you're going to buy a property and that purchase is subject to the sale of your property. The owner may accept that, probably not a, not in a rising market, but certainly in a, a buyer's market, it, it can be quite common in Queensland. So subject to the sale of your property, you've got to sell your property in a certain amount of time. If they get a better offer, this is a binding contract at this point, if they get a better offer, then they can either force you to become unconditional and proceed with your purchase or you terminate the contract. So the sunset clause gives them an out if you don't complete something that you are meant to complete in a certain time frame on the contract. So from a development off-plan perspective, that means, um, say, for example, it is often written in to protect the purchaser to have a sunset clause on there. But really what happens in a rapidly rising market, it becomes a developer's tool of escape. So if it says the development is to be completed within two years, otherwise either party can terminate the contract, contract, if the developer keeps delaying the development because prices are going up so rapidly and they want to get contracts terminated, then they may frustrate the contract by letting that time pass and be able to terminate the contract using that sunset clause. So it's complex and really important that your solicitor talks you through these things if you still decide to commit to an off-plan purchase. You're probably hearing that we are suggesting that you might want to think four or five times about that. Three times, four times about it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Because it is complex and you can often end up in a bit of a muddle. But but that's where your legal advice is so vitally important um, because, uh, interesting, it's outlawed in in New South Wales, it's, it still happens in Queensland, but we haven't seen the rapidly rising market in Queensland to see it, that actually happen. In apartments, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So in the other thing too, 
there can be delays in construction mm. that actually are not around the developer trying to get more money. They could be around the fact that they haven't sold enough or their finance has fallen over or they're delaying it because the market has fallen and they're thinking, oh, you know, we don't need to start. I don't want it to be complete in these sort of market conditions. There's all sorts of reasons why there might be delays mm-hmm. and they're out of control of the buyer. And so, you know, Megan mentioned earlier, the sunset clause can be there to protect a buyer, but sometimes they can also be a problem for a buyer because if your money is tied up, you're not out there looking at buying other property, right? Mm. So if prices are rising or if there are other opportunities or, or if suddenly prices fall and you could have actually afforded a house, mm. you know, instead of buying off the plan, your money's tied up. You're tied, tied up, up contractually. You you can't, you don't have the freedom to go out there and buy something else. Mm. So, so delays can really, or you might have a baby or you might couple up or something or you might not, you Circus might decouple. <laughs> Life gets in the way or you might get a transfer somewhere else. All of a sudden, you're not going to live there. All, all sorts of things can happen in the intervening time that, that you haven't had the benefit of living in that place all that time. And then when it finally comes to settle, it's no longer appropriate for mm. your needs. Mm. So very real and a very real risk when you're buying brand new or in this particular case, talking about off the plan. Yeah, yeah. I think the other thing, and, and you kind of you touched on it earlier, it's changes to finance. So when, when you actually commit to purchase an off-plan property, and, and it's apartments and houses we're talking about here, so house and land packages fall into a similar type, type um, category, but your, your finance will be approved to a certain level, but it will not be unconditionally approved. And what I mean by that is they still need to value that property at the end. So the bank is going to value what they think it's worth at the time you sign the contract. And they'll say, look, as long as it still values up at the end and your circumstances haven't changed, you, know, you haven't changed jobs or had a baby or significant interest rate rises or some sort of change to your serviceability, um, you could be sitting there thinking, great, well, finance is in the bag and in two years' time when it settles, I'll be fine. If anything has changed between when you got that initial and let's call it, it's not formal final approval that you get when you sign a contract and the bank says, yep, should be okay. It is still conditional on a number of factors. And those factors, if they can't be satisfied at the point of settlement, so when the property is completed and you're ready to settle, you either may end up without the money or significantly short of the purchase price of the property plus your costs. And we've got, we, we are going to talk about some case studies that you're familiar with, Veronica, where the valuation at the at completion is quite a bit less than the contract price. And you ain't got no wiggle room there. You've got to mm. find that extra money. You do, you do. Uh, and, and one of the valuers, uh, there's a whole bunch of articles and we'll put some of the links in the show notes, but one of the valuers was quoted as saying, and I paraphrase, that when they value, they were talking about blocks of land, but when they value them, they take away all the incentives. They subtract that because effectively what you're doing, you're paying whatever incentives that you've been given, mm, um, they, they are a cost. Time buy grants and so forth. We also have to look at what you're going to do when you don't want to live there anymore and you don't want to own it anymore. So you resale on the property. Your property is no longer brand new the moment it settles. It ceases to be brand new. So all the incentives that you got and all of the bonuses to to buy this brand new apartment, nobody else is going to get them. They're going to go to the next brand new one if they're, they're interested in those sorts of things. So it becomes a secondhand property to anybody else the moment that you've settled on it. Uh, and, and what that means is that you drastically narrow your future buyer pool. 
to people who want secondhand or established apartments, which at the moment they're not the most sought after and haven't been for a very, very long time because, Veronica, there are so many of them. Mm, yeah, and the same with house and land packages. So when there's, we talk about scarcity all the time and mm. this is where scarcity comes into its own. If you buy a property that is not scarce and it doesn't have any incentives for people to want to buy it, then they're not likely going to want to buy it. And so that leads to the biggest risk of all is the very real possibility that when you go to upgrade, it hasn't made any money or worse still, you've lost money. Mm. And either way, you've actually gone backwards financially, which is absolutely not what we want for you and your first home buying experience. Yes, because, Veronica, a lot of people use the first property as a stepping stone to the next one. So in that case, what they're looking for is accelerated capital growth to be able to then upgrade to the next property and start moving towards their dream home. And that's how you and I did it. It's how many, many people in property have actually started. But getting the first one right so that you do have that accelerated capital growth is absolutely vital. And it doesn't come from getting incentives to pay an inflated price for a new product. Now, it may sound like we're naysayers, so we want to give you some very real stories so that you don't get tempted to take the risk. And the first one is a rent vester named Matt, right? And he bought... Whose name we have changed to protect the innocent. Well, sure, no, he wasn't innocent. <laughs> I don't know if we've changed his name because I've taken this directly from a, a link, which was a news story, okay. um, which we include in the show notes so you can read. So I'm not sure they may have changed his name. <laughs> <laughs> but I haven't changed his name from the news story. So his name's Matt. He bought two apartments off the plan, one in Townsville for 289000 so in 2013, and another one in Melbourne uh, in 2016 for 504000 right? Two years after he bought it, the Melbourne one was completed, but the valuation came in at 54000 less than he paid for it. So there's an example of someone who's had that valuation come in lower. So he's got to settle and borrow money where the banks are assessing his borrowing based on a very much lower, he's already lost money mm-hmm. and he's got to find more money um, in order to be able to settle. But a year after that, here's where it gets really sad for Matt because I'm not sure if he was married when he bought these properties or whether he got married during it, but he and his wife decided that they would sell both apartments because they wanted to buy a home in Sydney to live in. And then at that point, they discovered that the Townsville one had actually dropped in value by 139000 over the six years that he owned it. So it was worth not much more than half of what he paid. So he thinks he's doing the right thing by investing, he's rent-vesting. That's awful. Mm. And instead of being good investments, in combined losses, are, they were backwards by over $180,000 plus costs plus opportunity cost, Mm. and then they weren't able to actually buy a home to settle in. And and, and the difficulty there is you don't know, a lot of people don't have the $180,000 to tip in. To recoup. Yeah, to recoup. But the bank actually might turn around and say, you're well below the 80%, 90%, whatever the LVR was that is on the mortgage contract, and say, you need to tip some money into this to top back up because the property is not worth what it was. And we're only going to keep lending against 80% or whatever the, the, the agreed percentage is of the property's value. Now, if you don't have access to, I just did a quick calculation, they, they needed an extra almost $11,000 
to tip in if they were on 80% LVR when they purchased that property and it was valued $54,000 less. So this is not insignificant money when you pull together and scrape together your deposit and your purchasing costs. To then go and find that additional money is difficult. But to six years later have found that actually what you've invested in has gone backwards. We're not talking cryptocurrency here. This is now property Mm. isn't speculative if you do it well. It can be quite methodical and quite reliable if you get your asset selection right. Um, But the opportunity cost, as you say, could be well in advance of the $180,000 in actual. Now, that's actual losses. Opportunity cost is what they could have done with the money in that intervening period and what it could have made them if they'd been, you know, made some different asset selection decisions. Well, let's face it, over that period of time, you know, in Sydney and Melbourne, uh, forget the brand-new apartment space, he could have bought something existing and actually made money, you know, it, over that same period of time. It was a boom for a big mm. part of that time. Mm. Mm. You know, and six years is a long hold. Oh, well, no, sorry, it's not, not a lot. It's a medium hold period in property. It's a long time so, to hold something and lose money, though. <laughs> lose money, yes. <laughs> so, look, this is, these are not, this is not an isolated example. If you Google this sort of stuff, Google lost money on off-plan sales, you will find an avalanche of examples and stories. I've just picked mm. a handful. Mm. Um, and this is not rare. And, in fact, uh, there was a study that I, this is what started me on this sort of journey of this research back in, well, God, I think it was 2016, I think it was, when when there was research that showed that in a booming market in Melbourne, so in the middle of the boom, there was something like 60% of second-time sales. So this is off-the-planned properties that purchased. When yep. those people went to sell that property, mm. 60% of them sold at a loss. 60%. In a booming market, everyone else is making money and those people were losing it. So this is, and that's a huge amount. So the, we've mm, just pulled out mm. a couple of examples that made made media stories. You know, this is very, very real, very, very real risk. And so some of these risks are around market timing because some mm. of these examples are people that paid for these properties in a boom. A peaking market. And a mm. peak, yeah. And so obviously that's a big risk at the moment. You know, here we are recording this beginning of 2022, 2021, massive, you know, peaking market, massive mm. growth. Mm. A lot of people then turn to buying off the plan as thinking it's a safe way to get in the market, thinking it's an easy way to get into a really boiling hot market. But this is, it can turn and a lot of these people got caught because the market turned in the intervening time whilst the buildings were being built and then they had to go settle and those valuations came in a hell of a lot lower than what they paid. So the market it may not be in your favour um, and that's a risk now. I mean, we're talking about rising interest rates. There's a lot of sort of things on the horizon that might actually result in some easing of price growth and in some cases there will be price falls. Um, that happens. That's just part of the normal cycle, right? Mm-hmm. You don't want to be buying highly risky property at the peak of the market, that's for sure. Yeah, and and as you say, you know, there's a lot of this happened in 2018, 2019 and after the market peaked in the southern states in 2017. Um, there's a stat there that in February 2019, 45% of new apartments in Sydney and Melbourne ended up being valued lower on completion than they were originally purchased for. That's nearly half mm. of every new apartment that was purchased off. A contract was was created prior to the completion of the apartment complex. 
So that's that's off plan. Any time that actually hasn't been completed, it's off plan, regardless of what stage the the, the uh, construction is at. Forty five percent of those were were worth less when they actually completed and went to settle. And now this is based on bank valuations. This isn't market value. This is bank value, and and therefore there's going to be a gap, as we talked about earlier. There's going to be a gap between what the bank will lend you and what you need to have to complete the purchase. But when COVID hit, Veronica. Those mm. real like this is really sad, and and you couldn't, no one could anticipate what happened in COVID. But but you know, it's, if you're not managing your risks, then risks start to pile up. When COVID hit, those unbuyers really unfortunately had to settle at a time of real uncertainty. The uncertainty would, was at its height, and they didn't have the luxury of waiting to see what the market would do. So you had quite a number of people um, that. You know, so that we're talking about March, April in 2020. And mm. so people that had signed a contract and they might have signed it in a really flat market too. They might have actually felt that they really got a good deal, you know. Mm. But yeah. then then if if that building happens to be finished, you've got no control over the timing of that. And if that building happened mm. to be finished at a really crap time, which is which is exactly what happened with a lot of people where they were they were basically told they needed to settle in that height of uncertainty mm. and one worst case scenario that was that was in one of the articles a buyer paid a deposit on off the plan apartment paid at 646,000 right that was only 18 so months paid earlier a deposit on it mm-hmm. to to secure it was told it had fallen to 500,000 in 18 months in 18 months wiped $146,000 off it now Let's, it's hard to comprehend how you would recover from that. And how, well, we'll talk about what happens, what your options are if that does happen. And they're not, none of them are nice, right? None of them mm, are nice. Mm, um, mm. This will happen again after this boom peaks. It actually mm. will happen. Uh, this is an enormous risk for people. And this is where we are always banging on about the risks of buying off the plan and, and new. We'll talk about a house and land package in a sec. Um, these are very real risks and off, they're not often publicised until the market falls. Then you see all these news stories telling the story about it, but you don't mm. see them at the moment. There's very few of them out there at the moment with this same message. So you want to learn from what happened last time and not, not get yourself in that situation. <laughs> yeah. Because So the options, th- th- there are options, right? Of course, you know, if you find yourself in this situation where you've actually signed a contract at a, at a certain price, let's say it's 500000 and let's say the valuation comes in at 400000 okay, you've got options, right? None of them are really nice, right? It's like swallowing a horse pill without water, right? <laughs> or, or as I like to say, you're going to eat a shit sandwich. It's just you're going to choose whether you have white bread or brown bread or wholemeal bread, but it's still going to be a shit sandwich, right? So different flavour shit sandwiches. <laughs> So, you know, if if for instance in that example, like the bank, the bank said, "Oh, look, we'll lend you twenty percent." Uh, sorry, eighty percent, right? Eighty percent. So you think they're going to lend you eighty percent of five hundred thousand? They're actually going to only lend you eighty percent of four hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. So, what does that do? The math. So, eighty percent of four hundred thousand. 80% of 500,000 is 400,000. Uh, 400,000, yep. Okay. And now they're only going to lend you 320. Right. So there's an $80,000 that you have to find. So that's in addition to deposit. Okay. Now that's a that's a really bad example. But even if it's $50,000 under that scenario, you, you still got to find, I think, another, let's just plug a figure. <laughs> Maybe it's 40,000. It, it, tens <laughs> of thousands of dollars extra that you have to find that you didn't 
you did not budget for. Mm, so that's your yep. first thing. And then you still settle on the property. So that's option one. Or I've heard some developers say, look, they don't want to sue you, but they could. They could then actually take your deposit and then if they sell it for less to someone else, they sue you for the difference. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I've heard some developers say, well, we wouldn't bother with that. We try to sell them into a smaller apartment in the complex. So you might get the worst apartment in the complex as a consolation prize for less money. The bank might, might, you know, you might be able to afford it. You can settle it. And you do that in order to avoid being sued. Or losing your deposit. Yeah. And that actually may be an even worse decision mm. From a capital growth and, and stepping stone strategy kind of perspective, to to actually go for that even more inferior property, the one bedroom on the main road, as opposed to the two bedroom facing the internal courtyard that you yeah. thought you were buying <laughs> with, with lots of natural life, yeah, yeah. 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 And, and similar things have happened with house and land packages. This is not unique to apartments. It's just that there is a greater density of apartments and we're seeing a lot more stories around mm. the apartments. I think the the story around house and land packages is somewhat hidden um, and we don't hear about it as much because there's not it's not as dense, you know, there's not as many people affected in, affected in one settlement. Mm. But this can even happen to real estate agents. So in one story, um, there's a real estate agent in Melbourne, Sarinda, and his wife, they bought a block of land in a new suburb in outer Melbourne in 2017. Mm. So, you know, you'd think real estate agents should be all over this, but they get sucked in too. And when they went to settle six months later, the valuations came in around 30 grand less than they paid, right? Now, we've been talking. That's going to hurt. It is going to hurt because they weren't alone, okay? And Mm. actually to the point, a Facebook group was formed you know, call victims of Merrifield, right? Because there was enough oh, people that, would be, oh dear. that it got sort of caught out by this. Now, the reality is that they call themselves victims of Merrifield. They're not really, do you think they're victims of Merrifield? No, they're victims of actually buying without realising the risks. Mm, mm. These are very real risks and they're actually known risks. Mm. And you you make these decisions and this is, I guess this is why we're doing this particular podcast, Veronica. This episode is really about opening your eyes. We have an opinion as property um, analysts and, and, and people who look at property over a very long period of time. So we have an opinion that, and we're trying to share that with people so that if you still choose to go down this path, at least you've got your eyes open, you understand your risks, you know what might actually happen, you have a buffer if you, if you really need it, but you are also not going to be able to consider yourself a victim. <laughs> so if you make a decision to enter into these sorts of areas and real estate agents know the risks of these things. Well, they should, um, but Surrender then, didn't. Well, so, well, Surrender might have thought that things were going to go in a better yeah. direction. And there are people who feel really positive about these types of, of examples of, of buying off plan. And there are people who have done exceptionally well. So we're not saying that it always goes pear shaped. No, it's the risks. It's just being really aware of the Mm. risks so that you go in with your eyes wide open and you've really thought through what if this happens. You know, I don't make any business decisions or property decisions without going through all of the risk analysis and feeling that at least I understand if something goes wrong, I know what it is, I'm prepared for it and I can deal with it. Off plan, House and land packages, similar thing. You have to understand what the risks are and be prepared to deal with them if they come up. And it's not just settlement, but resale. And Veronica, we touched on this a little bit earlier. In September 2020, in the September 2021 quarter, 13.5% of all unit sales in Australia sold for less than what their owners paid for them. 
Now, that's in the middle of a rapidly rising market. Yeah. And I would anticipate that those people thought that that was probably their best opportunity to get out at the least loss that they possibly could have. Yeah. And look, there's some places where units have really suffered more than others. And, and generally speaking, it's it's in areas of oversupply. Darwin's just like, you know, just a, a shocker that, that currently, I mean, still over 50% of unit sellers sell at a loss in Darwin. And a lot of these people have held those properties for 10 years. So, and a lot mm. of these investors, that, and a lot of them are rent investors too, for that matter, never got around to buying their own home to live in because they bought one of these and then got stuck. And in Brisbane, Brisbane has had a real oversupply of property, um, well publicised. Units. Sorry, of units. Mm. Yes, units. City units. Um, yep. And Melbourne, inner Melbourne is well publicised. And, and I have to tell you that then there's looming issues in Sydney as well in, in particular locations like North Ride and Parramatta and, you know, there's the mascot and places like that where there's... So there's, there's really dense, mm. those bigger complexes where the zoning allows for a lot more high-density units. And, and, and we're talking about, I guess we're... You know, I, I think we need to probably, you know, if you've, you've listened to anything, we, t- we talk about the difference between investor stock mm. style units or first time homeowner stock that's aimed at investors and first home buyers versus the downsizer or very large, almost house size apartments that are quite unique and, and scarce and, and highly sought after. So we're not just talking about... Um, uh, you know, I guess we can't lump those things together, Veronica. No, it's a very good point you raised there because the problem, of course, with all this data that we we refer to is that it is um, aggregated. All unit sales are bundled in mm. here, and it does does mask the fact that some units can be exceptionally good performers, right? So once yeah. again, it comes back to scarcity, location, the quality of the building, owner occupier, owner occupier, exactly. You know, the the mm. land, um, the land content, well designed, um, well, that's yeah. light, airflow layout good room sizes all of those things you want in a house yeah, yeah. so you know but for up. instance yeah. in in sydney you know given how expensive houses are and in inner suburbs three bedroom apartments are very popular with first home buyers well with young families anyway um first home buyers still has to have a lot of money to be able to afford a three-bedroom apartment in a sydney but certainly young families are starting to look at three-bedroom apartments because it, they're faced with the difference of going moving way out to be able to get a house or staying, you know, in a in an area where they've got networks and they're more connected and close to work, et cetera, et cetera. And it's that's sort mm. of the sort of thing that you look in overseas in London and New York and Milan and Paris, places like that. People live in apartments. Most people live in apartments, right? So it's something to do with the value of properties and to density, and there's a, a number of a number of issues around that. But the scarcity and the qualities we were just talking about are really important. So, so that 13.5% of all unit sales, it lumps everything in the one pool. However, the there has been a, a lot of different individual um, sort of uh, reports that have been done over the years that show that high proportion of resale um, of brand new property comes in at a loss. So a large proportion of that 13.5% of all unit sales are the first-time resale of off-the-plan apartments. We don't have exact figures, but if you go back to some of those reports we mentioned earlier, like the one in 2016 in, in um, 
Melbourne, where 60% of resales came in at a loss. So they would form a disproportionate amount of that 13.5% of, of properties that are sold at a loss would be those brand new apartments. So, mm-hmm. so it, 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 there is the evidence is there to show how risky this segment of the market is. And we are really passionate because governments are, are so encouraging of first home buyers buying this stuff, but they're not so, you know, they just like put their fingers in the ears and la, la, la about your future wealth. You know, and that's yeah, what's at yeah. stake here. And 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 Veronica, if uh, if you go back and listen to one of, one of our very early episodes, we talked about incentives, mm. and and really one of the big reasons that the incentives were aimed at first home buyers, particularly during COVID, was to actually stimulate stimulate the construction industry. So that was why it was a lot of the policy and um, the criteria sat around being brand new. So remember, you know, the government isn't encouraging you to buy brand new because they think it's a good investment for your future. They're encouraging you to buy brand new because it stimulated two parts of the economy. One was demand and the second was the supply and that was construction in supporting uh, the construction industry. On so that, a lot I, in here, Veronica. There is a lot in that. That's that's episode six, by the way, and I'll put the link in the show notes so you can go back and listen to that because those incentives are not free money without strings attached. Mm. Mm. Now, we could go on and on about the defects risk as well, but let's not do that. I think we've, we've laboured no, the point we enough about um, the risks to actually the asset and what the value is in your financial future. Please, please don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you've got a very, very, very deep pockets and you don't care about capital growth. And we suggest... You should. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) We most certainly do. So we've got got some information in the show notes for you. And, of course, um, if you're looking to understand a lot more about asset selection, uh, we've got heaps of information on the website. In this episode, we've covered a very small part of our 10-step online course for first-time buyers. If you would like to learn more about the process and how to buy without making a mistake, then head over to our website, www.homebuyeracademy.com.au. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode. And if you like what you've heard today, please give us an iTunes review. Five stars would be wonderful. It will help others find us as well. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found this really useful. And if you have, please share the love with others who you know are in the same boat. We'll be back next week with some more priceless stuff.